I heard all kinds of stuff going on there. I'm not sure how I feel about some of those answers, but okay. Sorry, I got to put the microphone on here. So it's Philemon. Um, I like Philemon, Jan, at least the way you say it, but we're probably not going to call it that. We're going to stick with Philemon there. So this book, let's just jump into it. We started with the questions last week. Who wrote this book? Paul, who do we think may have, have transcribed it or like taken, taken the notes down as he said it? Who? Somebody said it. Not Jesus. Anybody? Phil? No. Anybody? Timothy. Who said that? Yes. Timothy. That's, you said it back here too. Timothy's name shows up in the beginning of this book and scholars believe that he was either there with Paul or he may have actually been the scribe. And if you don't know what a scribe is, it means you talk while somebody else writes it down. We don't know because at one point Paul actually talks in this passage we're going to read tonight where he says, hey, I'm writing this with my own hand, which makes scholars believe that maybe Timothy actually wrote some of this stuff down for him. So we know Paul wrote it maybe with the help of Timothy. When do we believe it was written? Okay, at 60 to 62, probably around 62 AD, um, believed to be around the same time frame as Colossians and Ephesians. And where do we believe he was when he wrote it? Jail. Jail. Yes, that's absolutely right. Remember, you can say that a lot of times. Who was it written to? Philemon. Philemon, yes, it was written to Philemon. Now, again, we saw last week it was written to him, but it was also intended to be read to the church that met in his home. So it's not just him, it's to a group of people as well. And do you remember what the main idea of this short 25-verse book is? The power of the gospel to transform lives and impact relationships. That's what we see throughout this book, and that's really the main thing that we're going to see tonight. And do you remember why he wrote this book? What's that? Who said that? You said a, a slave ran away. Do you remember what his name is? It's all throughout the book. What's that? It's with an O, yes. On, Onesimus is the guy. Remember, we talked about this last week. He was a slave that ran away, and a lot of scholars believe, and, and we kind of get that indication from the passage we're going to read tonight, that when he ran away, he took some of Philemon's money. So he's not just a runaway slave, which was a capital crime in that society. He's also a thief, which is another capital crime. So he's got a big problem here. Yes. That was a possibility. If they got caught and, and the owner decided to proceed with that, they could be branded on their forehead with symbols that would indicate they were a runaway slave and they were a thief. So now you've got this guy who has run away. We believe he's stolen money. But sometime during this running, he encountered the Apostle Paul. We don't know exactly how. Somewhere in Rome, we don't know exactly what happened. But through that encounter, through that relationship, Onesimus heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he heard it, he responded to it. He put his faith and trust in Jesus. And now he's got a problem because if he is this runaway slave who could be in trouble for stealing money, he doesn't want to get caught. But at the same time, he's this new disciple of Jesus. And if he's wanting to live out this faith and these things he knows to be true, it goes in conflict with running away and not getting caught. So he's got a dilemma going on. 
And so what we see here is we see Paul writing this letter to try and help resolve this situation. Because Onesimus, if he goes back to Philemon, he has no idea what's going to happen. Remember, I talked to you guys last week about another account that historians tell us. There was a slave owner who was killed by one of his 400 slaves. And the guys that were prosecuting that slave decided that they were going to ask for all 400 slaves to be killed to set an example. And they won. And all 400 were publicly executed. So this is the society that Onesimus is living in. This is the society that he is now a runaway slave who has stolen his master's money. And yet, as a disciple of Jesus... He's supposed to go make things right. So Paul is writing this letter to help him because Paul has been there with him. Scripture shows us that Paul has been discipling him and Paul is trying to help make this situation right when it is so wrong so far. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to read through verses 8 through 20. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand and I'm going to ask Miss Laura Richardson to come up here and read for us tonight. Come on up here, Laura. We're going to steal Mr. Chad's microphone. And you can read right into that one. Verses 8 through 20. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have had him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this to you, writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I hope you can have these words go through our minds and we can listen to Pastor Jesse and just go out in the world and express what we've learned tonight and that we can hear it in our hearts and use it and connect with Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Y'all can have a seat. Well, you can clap for her if you want to. <laughs> It's like that awkward pause. Nobody knows if it's okay or not. All right. So let's just, let's just walk through it. Verse 8. Accordingly. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So that word right there, accordingly, what Paul is doing is he's referring back to the things that we read about in verses 1 through 7 last week. In those verses, what we saw is we saw that, that Paul's got a relationship with this guy Philemon. He knows what we believe to be his son and his wife. And he knows the people that are there in the church. And because they are working together for the same goal, the same purpose, they are working to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a love and there's a relationship there. And that relationship that he has with him allows an openness for him where Paul is getting ready to tackle something that is a very difficult matter. 
And he says right there, he's, he's making an appeal. He, he has the ability, he has the right as, as an apostle to say, hey, you need to listen to me and you need to do what I'm about to tell you. But that's not what he does here. He makes an appeal here, not a command. He's trying to help Philemon see, hey, this would be the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. You're going to decide what you do here. But I want you to pay attention to what he's doing. When he says right there, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. What Paul is doing here is is Paul is approaching a difficult situation. And because of Christ, he's got the boldness to do that. He's, He's doing what some people would call church discipline. He's saying, hey, something wrong has happened. You need to be careful how you approach the situation. And he's trying to walk through with Philemon what is the proper way to approach what's going on here. He's basically saying, hey, there's something hard that's happening right now, and we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to look at it, we're going to deal with it, and we're going to work through it. That's important for us, because if you think about your own life, there's a lot of us in here that don't really like confrontation. We don't like to confront people or to be confronted by people when we're doing something that maybe we know doesn't honor God or we're doing something that maybe doesn't doesn't bring glory to him because of the way we're talking or the way we're acting or the things that we're doing. And, And yet someone who loves us enough will come to us and say, hey, you say you're a follower of Jesus. We need to talk about how you're living your life. We need to talk about the things you're saying. We need to talk about the things you're doing. We don't like those conversations. Because number one, if you're the one who's approaching someone, sometimes you may feel like you're judging somebody. And and none of us want to feel like we're judging somebody. Or if you're the one that gets approached, maybe you feel like people are judging you. And we don't like to be judged, do we? Our natural reaction isn't, oh, you're right. I'm completely messing up and I should stop doing that thing. Our natural reaction is, oh, yeah? Well, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about the things that you're doing. Let's talk about the things that you're saying. We immediately try to put it off on somebody else. So we shy away from those confrontations, from those hard conversations. And yet Paul is giving us an example right here that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't be afraid of those things. We've got to be willing to have those conversations. I'll put it like this. You need to be willing to care more about who God has made that young man or that young lady to be then you care about the relationship that you have with them. And if that doesn't make sense, I'll put it to you this way. It should be okay that they get mad at you because you're pointing them towards Jesus. You've got to be okay with that. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to be okay with somebody being upset with you because you are trying to point them towards Jesus. I had a young man one time in, in, in a church that we served in who... Um, had gotten to the point where he was talking about taking his own life. And for whatever reason, that night, he called Miss Kathleen and I. And I got to talk to him for a while, and he just kept saying he he was going to take his life, he was going to take his life, and then he quit answering his phone. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and couldn't get a hold of him. So you know what I did? The next best thing, I called his sister. And his sister went home. And his sister checked on him. And he hadn't taken his life. And he didn't take his life. And for almost a year, that young man wouldn't talk to me. Because he was so angry that I had dared call his sister and tell his sister what he was threatening to do. And you want to know something? I was okay with that. Because for a year, he was alive to be angry. 
Sometimes you have to be willing to risk the relationship so that you can encourage them to be the man or the woman that God has created them to be. Now, I don't know where he is now. I don't know what he's doing now. But I know for that time, I was okay to risk that relationship. And we've got to be willing to risk those those relationships. Risk those relationships because when you're pointing someone to Jesus, even in the middle of a confrontation or a hard conversation, you are doing everything you can to glorify God in that moment. And that's what we've got to do. But it's not just, hey, you're in the wrong. It's, hey, this is not the right path that you're on. Let me help you. Let me come alongside you. And that's what we're going to see Paul do as he walks through this tonight because he's making this appeal because of who Jesus is. He says it in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul refers to Onesimus here as his child. Now, was Paul his father? No. What do you think he's talking about when he says, my child? Spiritual father. That's exactly right. What that means is that when Onesimus encountered Paul, Paul shared the gospel. Onesimus accepted the gospel. He's changed. He's not who he was before because he's met Jesus. And Paul has a love for this young man as a father would love a son. It means he looks out for him. It means he takes care of him. It means he teaches him. He guides him. He shows him what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And this this is the centerpiece for the entire appeal that Paul is making right here. Is that Onesimus is not who he was before. When Paul met him, when Onesimus ran away from Philemon, he was a slave. He was a bondservant. He was somebody that had a master. And yet what he says right here. Is that he's not coming back that way. Formerly he was useless, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my heart. He's still a slave when he goes back, but he's different than he was before. Now he's not just a slave. For Philemon, he's a brother in Christ. Spiritually, he's been changed Onesimus has heard the gospel and it's changed this man from who he was, from someone that was dead in his sin to someone that is alive in Jesus Christ. We don't know the details of what happened. We don't know why he made that decision. But what we do know is they're right here from Paul's testimony. Onesimus is not who he was. He's a different man. And there's a good chance that when Onesimus went back to Philemon, Philemon would have had some doubts about him. I mean, you think about this, when, when you see people at school or hear people at school, and, and maybe you've had the experience where somebody who hasn't really lived a life that honored God, somebody who kind of lived for themselves, honored themselves, did everything that doesn't honor God, and, and maybe you've had the experience where you've heard someone like that in your life, and all of a sudden they've gotten saved. They've asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins. And, and what we tend to do sometimes is we tend to, to sit back and think, okay, let's see if this is real. Did they really mean it? Are they really going to change? Are they really going to start living differently? And there's that seed of doubt in our head that they've actually been transformed by the gospel. And what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to wipe that out of Philemon's head. He's saying, hey, this guy is not the same guy. 
He's giving a testimony about what God has done in Onesimus's life so that when he goes back, Philemon has every single reason to accept him, to trust that God has changed his life, that the gospel has transformed him. What we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we give people the same benefit of the doubt that Paul is trying to get Philemon to give Onesimus here. We've got to make sure that when we hear about somebody, when we talk to somebody who we know has not lived a life that honors God and they put their faith and trust in Jesus, we get to give them the benefit of the doubt that God really is changing them. And, and I'll be honest, there's been times where I've sat back and had those exact same thoughts of, okay, really, they got saved? Really? Okay, we'll see how that plays out. But that's not the way we're supposed to approach it. If we believe that God really transforms lives through the gospel, and you know and I know that he's transformed our lives, why can't he do that in somebody else's life? Why can't he do that in the life of somebody that is running and throwing everything they can up in God's face to show them that they don't believe in it? Why doesn't it have that power in their life? The truth is it does. And we've got to be willing to see what God is doing in the lives of other people and how he is transforming them because the gospel has the power to radically transform somebody's life. And when I say radically, there are testimonies that I have heard and some of the other adults in this room have probably heard and can tell you of people who are doing everything possible to prove that they wanted nothing with God to do with God and yet God got a hold of them anyway. And everything changed. That's what Paul is trying to help Philemon see here. That Onesimus is different. He's changed. The gospel has transformed his life. So much so that it's actually, Philemon has been, or Onesimus has been a blessing in Paul's life. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me. Like, I, I don't want to send him back. I want to keep him here in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Exactly. Paul has reason to keep Onesimus with him, but he wants Philemon to be the one that makes that choice and willingly accept him back. He doesn't want to force anything on him. Paul gives up his own desires here. He says, I want Onesimus to stay with me. He's a benefit to me. He's a blessing to me. It would look good for you if he stays here. But I'm going to give up my own desires. I'm going to send him back to you so that you have the ability to do what is the right thing to do with him. And then he goes on in verse 15. He says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I love the way Paul says this here, because when Paul says, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. We're seeing Paul's view of the sovereignty of God right here. Paul is saying, hey, What's happening right now? What has happened? The situation that's going on? Do you think maybe God's been at work this whole time? With him leaving? With him stealing? With him meeting me? With him accepting Jesus Christ? With him coming back to you? Maybe it's God that's been working in the background the entire time so that he's not just a slave that's run away anymore. He's coming back to you not as a slave but as a brother in Christ. 
You see, we have to understand that God is always working in the background of our lives. We can't always understand it. Some of the things don't make sense. There will be people in our lives that will make selfish, sinful choices that will hurt us and change the trajectory of where we thought our life was going. And yet God is always in the background. God doesn't cause those things to happen, but what God can do is God can take any choice that a human makes and he can use it to bring him glory if we will simply let him do that. Over and over and over again. And that's exactly what Paul is making reference to here. He's saying this situation, these bad choices, these things that are happening, maybe God's been at work the whole time. And maybe he's been at work and he's let all of these things happen so that I could encounter Onesimus. So that he could accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that he could come back to you as your brother, not just your servant. And then in verse 16, it says right there, that relationship is different than it was before. He's been changed by the gospel. And Paul is asking Philemon, please see Onesimus as who he is now, not who he was. If, if you've ever had times in your life where you've done things that, that you're ashamed of, things that you hope people don't find out about, and yet you know Jesus has forgiven you since that time, and your life is different now. You're not pursuing those things. You're trying to pursue Christ instead of all of that stuff. You probably want more than anything for people to recognize you for who you are now, not who you were. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to help Philemon do. He's saying, don't look at Onesimus for who he was. Look at for him for who he is now. And then he goes on in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. This is the first and only request Paul makes in all 25 of these verses. This entire letter is the only time he makes a request of him. He says, see the power of the gospel in the life of Onesimus. He's transformed. He's changed. He's not who he was. And since Jesus has changed his life, that now changes the relationship that Philemon and Onesimus have. Because that's what the gospel does. Paul has shown the love that he has for Philemon. And he's saying, hey, you and I love each other because we have a partnership in the gospel. Well, if we have a partnership in the gospel, now you and Onesimus have that same partnership. So I need you to accept him the same way you would accept me. He's speaking on his behalf. It's kind of like when you've got uh, uh, some kind of leader or royalty and their ambassador comes representing them. That ambassador is accepted as if they were that leader that they represent. They come in and they receive the same treatment. They receive the, the same niceties, all of those things. And that's what Paul is telling Philemon to do. He's saying, hey, treat Onesimus as if I was coming to you. Because he's your brother in Christ. Because he's different now, because he's changed, because he's been transformed by the gospel. And then it says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even for your own self. Have you guys ever seen anybody say something like that in scripture before? If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Anybody? Where? The Good, Good Samaritan. That's exactly right. Luke chapter 10, verse 35. Where, where the Good Samaritan, as Jesus is telling this parable, the Samaritan 
You've got this guy, he's hurt, this Samaritan finds him. You've got a Jewish guy, Samaritan guy, Jews and Samaritans don't really get along very well. But all of these Jewish people walk past the guy that's hurt, and then along comes the Samaritan, the guy who should have a problem with the one who's beaten laying on the road. And what he does instead of walking past him is he picks him up, he takes him to an inn, he gets him taken care of, and he tells the guy in charge there, he says, when I come back, whatever his expenses are, they're on me. I'm going to take care of that. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, whatever he owes you, whatever he's stolen, whatever he needs to pay back, I'm going to take care of that. And then he gives us that, that, man, what, what a picture of the gospel. I mean, you want to talk about the gospel having the power to transform lives. That's a picture of the gospel right there. Someone who shows you love when you've done nothing to deserve their love. Someone who is willing to take on a debt that you owe and pay it fully and you never have to worry about it again. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we are sinners and scripture tells us that we owe a debt we can't pay. We can't make our sin right with God. We try, we do all the right things, we go to church, we sing the songs, we give the money, we go on mission trips, we do all of these things to be good enough for kind of little old ladies help them cross the street, don't kick dogs when you see them walking down the road, we do all the good stuff, right? But at the end of the day, we still dishonor God. We're still sinners. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes by accident, but it still happens. And we cannot fix it. I had the opportunity with a, uh, a young lady to sit down and talk to her about baptism this week. And as we were talking about her testimony, um, I asked her this question. I said, has there ever been a day where you decided you're going to do nothing wrong? You're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to hit your brothers or sisters. You're going to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You're going to be completely obedient. You're going to be good all day long. And she said, yes. I said, did you do it? And she said, no. And I bet the same thing is true for every one of us in this room. We've had those days where we've tried to be good, but at the end of the day, we're not quite good, are we? That's because of sin. And we can't fix it. We can't be good enough. But God made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin. He sent Jesus Christ to take on the debt that we could not pay. And he paid it. And he gives us the love and grace that we don't deserve freely. And scripture tells us we simply have to ask him to forgive us of our sin and put our faith and trust in him. And we will be forgiven and we will be saved from our sin and we will belong to him forever. Paul is painting a picture of that right here with what he's doing in this relationship. He is living out the gospel. The gospel has the power to transform lives and impact relationships. We see exactly that playing out right here. Onesimus is different. He is not who he was when he ran away, when he stole that money. He is a changed, transformed person because of the gospel. And because Paul is living out the gospel, you see that his love for Onesimus begins to impact his life. And it begins to impact Philemon's life. And it's impacting the lives of other people around him. And it goes on here in the last verse. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is saying, please accept Onesimus. Forgive Onesimus. 
See him in the way that I see you and you see me as another disciple of Jesus Christ. All of this simply because Onesimus heard the gospel. And the gospel has the power to transform your life and impact your relationships. So I end with this tonight. Is it doing that in your life? Is the gospel of Jesus transforming your life? Is it changing the things that you live for? Is it changing the way that you look at each and every day? Is it changing the things that you pursue? Is your life different than it was before you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if it's not, then it hasn't transformed your life yet. If your life looks exactly the same, if you're pursuing exactly the same things, if Jesus is not number one in every area of your life, then the gospel has not transformed you yet. But it can. You simply have to put your faith and trust in God. You have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. And then just like Paul had Philemon and Onesimus now has both of those guys and the church that meets in Philemon's house, you don't make that walk alone. You have others around you. Remember we talked about that last week. The gospel connects you to other people. If the gospel has transformed your life, it should be affecting the relationships that you have. It should affect your daily routine. Let me ask you these questions I just wrote down. Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you encouraging other believers? And are you sharing the gospel with people in your life that need to hear it? If the gospel has transformed you, then it should not only be affecting your life, it should be impacting the relationships around you. So that begs the question, who do you need to treat differently tonight because of the gospel? Who do you need to share the gospel with tonight? Not just who are you inviting to church so Pastor Brian can share the gospel or I can share the gospel or your life leaders or the other adults can share the gospel. Who do you need to share the gospel with tonight? Because if it has transformed your life, then it should be impacting the relationships that you have. The people that you're praying for that will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have you asked them about that yet? Have you asked them if they put their faith and trust in Jesus? Have you shared the gospel with them? Because if the gospel is going to transform lives, it should impact the relationships that you have, which means you've got to speak the gospel into other people's lives. It affects the way you talk. It affects the way you act. It affects the way you think. It affects everything about you. We have seen here how the gospel has the power to transform lives and impact relationships. So that's my question. Is it doing that in your life tonight? If it's not, maybe time to do something about that. And if you're here tonight and the gospel of Jesus has never transformed your life, you know you've never asked God to forgive you of your sin. You know that you've never pursued him with everything that you have. You can do that tonight. And see the plan that God has for you. And see the life that God has for you. Because I can promise you this. It is way more incredible than anything you're pursuing right now. Because the gospel will transform your life. And it will transform the lives of those around you. And if you're here tonight and you want to make that decision, you're ready to make that decision in just a minute, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. I'm going to be standing right over here. Come and talk to me about that. Or talk to one of the other adults in the room. Or better yet, talk to the friend that brought you tonight and ask them to talk to you about it.
don't leave here tonight without doing something with what you've heard. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that, God, this life transformation we're talking about is not up to us. God, you're the only one that can do that. God, I pray for every single person in this room tonight. Lord, I pray that all of our lives are constantly being transformed by the gospel. God, I pray that you'll help each one of us tonight to live that out. Let it impact the people around us. Let it impact the relationships that we have. Give us the courage to talk to our friends about who you are and what Jesus has done. Courage to talk to our families. God, help us to honor you with the things we do and the things that we say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.